Okay, sounds good. All right, let's uh, let's get started. Welcome to the last night of Wednesday night for the Gospel of Matthew. Um, so we have made it all the way through to the end. I know many have been um, losing sleep this week, wondering about the vote. And so uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> I'll let you know. I mean, you can't you can't just jump the shark. You got to like wait a while. We got we don't want to get rushed into this. We want to build some anticipation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The only reason I came tonight was to get the results. So tell me, and then I need to get another cup of coffee. So, all right, let's. Uh, what? Oh, yeah, I should have announced it for all the early people. Yeah, huh. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this group of people that love you and desire to grow in our understanding of you. And so we just um, we come to you tonight, and we ask that your spirit would be with us as we conclude this time that we've been walking through this uh, gospel of Matthew, and we just pray that you would help us to understand who you are and what it is that you desire from us and for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty, so um, I want to actually start in chapter one. <laughs> I want to start in chapter one. Um, Verse 19, and we'll read through 25, and then we'll jump ahead to the end. So, some of you are confused. We're in Matthew uh, 1:19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly, which, again, is so interesting as we think about the other conversations about divorce. But, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now if we flip all the way to the end, the, what we call the final chapter, Matthew says this, Now after the Sabbath, so catching some of you up, Jesus is dead. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, 
For I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. Trouble. So they took the money and did as they were dis- directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has given to me, has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of Matthew. So, here we have the uh, story of the resurrection. And it is in a very concise and clear manner. Now, the interesting thing is that Mary, the two Marys, okay, that were there sitting opposite the tomb, okay, back in 61, have left, and now they've come back because they want to verify, is Jesus there or is he not there? They went to see the tomb, and as they're going, they experience this earthquake. Now, part of the question becomes, was this a tremor or an aftershock of the previous earthquake, more than likely, that there was this big earthquake when Jesus dies, and this imagery of the reality that exists that the crucifixion of Jesus has altered, literally altered the structure of the world through this earthquake and now these subsequent earthquakes. But notice what they do. They go there because they want to see for themselves. And all four Gospels present the reality that the women are the first ones to witness the resurrection. And I know we've been talking about this, and we're going to continue to talk about this. The theme of the importance of women within Matthew's Gospel comes back from the very beginning to the very end. And how Matthew is using the reality of the importance of women. And that as the kingdom of God breaks into this world through Jesus, there is an altered reality that creates a level playing field and complete equality within males and females, which leads Paul in Galatians to talk about the reality that there is neither male nor female. Not that male and female don't exist, but there isn't some sort of hierarchy. And... If you've read Lee Strobel's book, which I have not, Amanda referenced it last week in the youth talk, 
uh, other people have. This idea that if you're going to put together a case for the resurrection, you're not going to lead with, and the witnesses were women within the ancient Near Eastern context. So this is a big thing that he again points out. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are there watching the tomb, and then they come back to see whether or not Jesus is resurrected. Now, if we couple that with this phrase, as Matthew says, that some of them doubted, we have this very interesting thing that is existing within the conclusion of the gospel story. The reality that questioning and doubt or not complete trust is perfectly acceptable. That 100% certainty is not the standard on which our faith is constructed. And so when we see this idea of, I'm not sure I fully believe this, that's okay. You're in good company. Because those closest to Jesus, they want verification. The women want to see, has he risen? They want to see with their own eyes. They want to look and observe. Is he still in the tomb? And that's okay. And for some people, doubting and belief is, is not a problem. We just, yep, we just, how's, this, how's the song go? The song, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Do you not sing hymns anymore? Lee, they're all blaming you. There's been a big clamoring for trust and obey. They talked to me before. They wanted me to say that. It wasn't in my notes. But isn't it interesting how we have somehow convinced ourselves that doubting is a lack of faith when in actuality doubting is just a part of being human and exploring this thing called faith in Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do to start with tonight is if you don't have questions, hopefully somebody sitting by you has questions, I want us to actually start with the one, two, three, four, five, sixth question in discussing what does it take for us to believe something? What does it take for us to believe in something? And so I'm going to give you about seven minutes, group up close by with people that are close by you, preferably less than six, which that number is five or less. More than one would be preferable. And discuss this question.
Okay, uh, let's go back together. All right, so the reason why I wanted to start at the beginning um, of Matthew's gospel is the the spiritual discipline that I have for tonight or for this week or choose your adventure on how long you want to participate in this is to go back through the entire um, gospel again because yesterday I went for an extended walk with my dog before he decided to eat his second porcupine in five days. Um, He and I were listening to Matthew's gospel together. Yeah, right. And it, it just, so many things struck me that occur early on in the gospel that are allusions to things that are gonna happen later. Words, phrases, themes that I missed the first, I don't know how many times I've been through this in the past you know, nine months together. And as we look at the beginning of Matthew's gospel and as we look at the end and we talk about this mirroring, we see at the very beginning, Joseph is instructed by the angel to not be afraid. And in the very end, we see this uh, call to not be afraid. And then we see at the birth of Jesus, remember what do the Magi do when they show up? No, when they show up with Jesus. You unfamiliar with the Christmas story? They show up, and what do they do? They fall down and worship him. What happens at the end when they see Jesus resurrected? What does it say that they did? They fell down and worshiped him. See how this unfolds in this brilliant mirrored way that Matthew tells us things in the beginning and he gives us things in the end and how seamlessly they fit together to create this beautiful portrait of Jesus. This concept that happens in the beginning, it also happens in the end. And so there are so many of these little nuggets that when, after we've been through this, when you go back through and either you sit down and you read the whole thing, or you go for a walk and you listen to the whole thing, or you sit and just listen to the words and the stories unfolding, you're like, oh yeah, that's going to oh, that's right, this thing's about to happen in the future. I mean, when, G, when G, uh, what's his name? John, the Baptist, the baptizer, when he's confronted, what does he say? You brood of vipers. What does Jesus say to the Pharisees? You brood of vipers. And we see these through lines that happen throughout the gospel that when you go back through are just completely fascinating. And so in the end, we see Jesus coming to them. First, he greets them. And what does he say? They fall down, they they take his feet, and they worship him. And he says, do not be afraid. How hard would it have been for them to leave him? I mean, 
everything they've been waiting for, the agony of the three days without Jesus. Is this going to happen? Is he going to rise from the dead? You go to the tomb. He's risen. You're like, where is he? And then you're like, there he is. And he's like, good to see you. I got to go do some things. I'll meet you in Galilee. And it's interesting because Matthew doesn't choose to make the comments about the physical body that Jesus has, which some of the other gospel writers do. But it is very important. The physical resurrection of Jesus is a crucial, crucial reality that we can't miss. And so he does give us some clues to his physicality, not so much as some of the other gospel writers, but the physical resurrection is so, so important because Jesus has he has had victory over death. And his physical body is very important. So the next question I want us to discuss in our little pockets is what's something that has stuck out to you throughout? I think that's the question. What is one thing that you're going to take away from the time that we have spent in Matthew's gospel? What's one of the biggest takeaways that you have from this year of Wednesday nights? So this is like a full-on, could be from something from way back in September, could be something super recent. What's one thing that has stuck out or you're going to take away from this walk through Matthew's gospel? Okay? And maybe somebody will let the new newcomers in.
All right, the groups that um, followed the instructions and had the right number of people are done discussing, so we're going to move on. <laughs> oh, golly gee. Um, curious, I'd love to hear uh, some of the takeaways that, that some of you, if you're willing to uh, share what are some of the takeaways that you are leaving with from, from our time in Matthew to this point? Okay, patience, yeah. Yeah, good. The emphasis on the marginalized. Okay, so the, the flipping of the functioning of this world. Okay. Yeah, how he can relate to the human experience. Yeah. Oh. So the the way that you read to consume but not to be nourished. Yeah. Yeah, the relatability of the human, the humanness of the disciples as well. Yeah. Anyone else? Okay, so um, then we have this this kind of very interesting um, telling about this this plot to keep it a secret that Jesus has, has been raised. And, and really, as, as I have read it and reread it, what is so interesting to me is how just last week, remember, we have Judas who has received money to betray Jesus, rejecting the money because he realizes what he's done, now here, you have people receiving money, in essence, to betray Jesus. And we see this peculiar sandwich of how money drives people to betray Jesus in different ways, which is an echo way back, way back to the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus talks about what? He says, you cannot serve God and money. 
which is a fascinating echo that I have never seen before because, frankly, who spends any time with this part of the story? Nobody. You're like, he was risen, woohoo, great commission. You're like, okay, we missed this part. That's kind of a, Matthew wasn't just like, oh, let's see, I just need to get, you know, fill in to the end here, finish out this page. And then we have the last words of Jesus as he gathers his 11 disciples together in Galilee, which is a significant uh, moment for them, a significant location for them to be gathered together. And again, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, which again creates this reality that we can worship and doubt at the same time. We can have fear and joy at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. So that, that is an interesting point that Matthew makes. And then Jesus gives what, what we have deemed as the Great Commission. And he makes this statement about how he has received authority not only in heaven but also on earth. And so he tells the disciples, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Which, what's his name? Emmanuel means God with us, beginning of the gospel. And he says, in case you missed it, I will be with you always. Interesting connection. This, this great commission is something that drives us in very interesting ways. Because notice, he says, go and make more disciples of all the nations. Now, the interesting part about this is um, John Mark Comer, he's a pastor out uh, on, the, on the West Coast, uh, and he wrote this book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But when he talks about discipleship, he talks about apprenticeship. And so when he refers to the disciples, he refers to them as Jesus' apprentices. And now he's not doing this because he was a big fan of the show. Okay, it's no, not. It's because a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a person who studies the way someone lives so that they then live that same way. Notice, Jesus doesn't say, go get a bunch of people to pray this prayer and then you're good. He doesn't say, go and make a bunch of converts and get them to look and act and talk and live like you do. He doesn't say (laughs) the most important thing is that you get people to walk down an aisle on one night of their life. He talks about this idea of making disciples. And that word means to these guys something so important because they've been spending the last three years of their life eating, drinking, walking, being terrified with Jesus, screwing up, making mistakes, seeing miracles, experiencing miracles, having to go to Jesus and say, why can't we do this? We need your help. 
learning all of these things about what it means to be a true apprentice of Christ. But for some reason, we have convinced ourselves that the Great Commission is about going and telling somebody, if you don't pray this prayer, you're going to go to hell tonight. So that's the most important thing. So pray this prayer so that I feel better about where you're going. That's not what this thing is about. Because to be a disciple is to apprentice Jesus. And it's interesting that that very quickly after this, Paul is writing, and and the big thing is like, well, I'm a follower of Paul, and I'm a follower of Peter. No. The encouragement isn't, go get a bunch of people to live like you. Because that is how we have done missions. And we could, many of you know, I could spend days talking about the reality of how this has been so abused. We have experienced it here in our own country in such a real way. To be a disciple isn't to look like the person who tells you about Jesus. Lord knows we don't need any more Eric's at Timberwood, in the world, period. (laughs) This isn't go and get people to follow you. It's to go and make disciples of me, of Jesus. And discipleship is an intimacy. It's a relationality. And that's why Timberwood was founded. To make disciples. Worshiping, serving, celebrating together. Because discipleship isn't a one-time thing. It's not, hey, I became a disciple tonight. (laughs) Discipleship is a conscientious decision every single day of our lives to live and study under Jesus, under the things that he has taught us, so that we can be more like him. But it's about relationality. It's not about exclusivity. Disciples of all nations. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And it's interesting because this is a command. And yet how often is it the case? We're like, yeah, but he didn't actually mean that. Like the final words of Jesus was more of a suggestion. And and for for many of us, we wrestle with this thing called discipleship because, well, one of the biggest challenges is I'm not there yet. So how can I disciple somebody else if I'm not there yet? Well, if we look around, there's a lot of open chairs, so a lot of us that are actually here are one step ahead because we all have been spending this time in the Gospel of Matthew. This is not to say that we are better than other people. It's to say we have been through this journey together, 
And so we could go to someone else and say, hey, would you consider walking through Matthew with me? Or maybe we get two people. Or maybe we get somebody else from here that's in this room right now. And then we each go find someone else. Because it seems like I've heard a story about people in the Bible going out two by two. And that wasn't the Noah story. And say, hey, this summer, what if we met every other week and we read through five chapters of Matthew. We read through seven chapters of Matthew. And then when we met, we either sat on the patio, sat on the pontoon, maybe we go for a walk. If you bring your dog to my house, watch out for the porcupines. And then as we walk with our friends, we say, what are some things that were interesting to you about this passage? Eric, what if they ask me a question? I heard one time somebody ask a lot of questions, and the person that was like, great question. I don't know. <laughs> you remember that? And then someone else was very upset. Answer the question. No. Jesus says to these 11 people that we just pointed out, Amy pointed out, they're so messed up. They're just a bunch of dudes that can't figure it out. And that Jesus says, go out, find some people, tell them what you've experienced, talk about the things that I've taught you, and try to figure this thing out together. He doesn't give them all the answers. He doesn't give them a manual of how to do this. He doesn't tell them anything. <laughs> Except he's just told them for three years what it looks like to follow him. Yes. No, Pentecost has definitely not happened. It's still to come, yes. Which... Thank you for bringing that up. That's why I want to go through next year all of Luke and Acts because we see the totality of Luke's narrative because Luke wrote Luke and Acts as one unit. We divided it up because we thought 66 books would make a great Bible. It's a joke. Because then this flows right into Acts and the church and how the church figures it out and screws it up and does all these things. If we are going to take Jesus seriously, which I think most of us here want to do, I think all of us here want to do, because frankly, it's really nice outside. <laughs> Jesus tells us, go out and share what I've shared with you to other people. And it's not, let me tell you all the things that I know. Because I am not an expert. I am not an expert by any means. I get the privilege of standing up here and talking through this, and because of God's grace and your generosity, that this is my job. And so you're like, well, you know, yeah, 
I understand. The disciples were illiterate, uneducated people who Jesus said, follow me, I'll show you how this works, and then you go and do the same. And so the question is, why are we not doing, and doing that? And some of us are. I'm not saying none of us are. Some of us are. Because one thing I'm going to try to do over the summer is try for us to do a better job of this. And I want to provide what we need as a body to do this. So that when we go out and we start doing these things with other people, it's not, let me tell you about heaven. It's, let's walk through this together and experience Jesus together. Not like, I've got it all figured out and I'm going to help you. Because again, I don't have it all figured out. I have the luxury of studying this. You don't have to study this. We don't have to have this PhD in anything. The experts are the people that write the commentaries. Jesus isn't asking us to be experts. He's asking us to be faithful disciples. And what does discipleship look like? Well, the first thing it looks like is baptism. Baptizing them. This immersion into the kingdom. Again, Jesus starts his ministry being baptized by John in the Jordan. He concludes the gospel talking about the importance of baptism. Because baptism doesn't function in a salvific way. It functions in a way that identifies an individual as a follower of Jesus Christ. And for some reason, we, we can convince ourselves that, that we've missed that. Like, I don't need to be baptized because we baptize infants or, or, or whatever. But baptism for Jesus is a key component. Otherwise, he wouldn't have said it. And then teaching and talking about all that he has commanded, which in so many ways is a nod to say, what was that thing he said again? To go back to the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew and to read through the whole thing again. And I know you're like, okay, we get it. You want us to read it again. No, I really want us to read it again and again and again and again and again. Well, I want to read Paul's letters. Okay, that's cool. We're not following Paul. We're following Jesus. And so what if we literally spent the next three months just reading and rereading and rereading and rereading and rereading the Matthew's gospel over and over and over and over and over and over and over? And what if we did it with other people. What would that look like? How would that change our relationships with each other? How would that change our relationships with the text? How would that change how other people see us? You know the old They have name tags. We're not here. <laughs> Uh, 
and, and you know, part of through the Lenten season, you know, in the booklet was this idea of when we wake up in the morning, who's the first name that comes to our mind? And one of the things I know last weekend was not the best weekend for weather, and so many of us that had thought about going out on the prayer path were like, yeah, that's a hard pass. It's raining. I totally get that. Um, one of the prayer, praf- prayer path prompts, how very Baptist of, uh, of me and the alliteration there, uh, is about this. Who are the people that God is moving into our lives that he wants us not to say, where do you go to church? Are you a Christian? Do you know where you're going to go if you die tonight? But to say, hey, would you join me? I'm on this journey. Would you come with me? That is something that I could get behind. Versus, hey, I'm going to take you to this place and I want to show you all these things. That's maybe a little different. And so what if we really, really committed ourselves to making this a reality? To making the words of Jesus a reality in our lives. That we sought people out to invite them into our journey. Because I've said this before and I'll say it again. When we walk in this world with other people, they see things we don't see. And they can bring things to us that we don't see. That's part of why I covet this opportunity to hear from you all. Because God speaks to you all and you see things that I can't see. And so that becomes this invitation of not, hey, let me tell you all the things that I know about the Bible. It's, would you join me on this journey as we walk through this story about Jesus? Because one of the great things about Jesus is every religion in the world is actually cool with Jesus. So even non-Christians are like, yeah, I'm cool with Jesus. Like, I'd be okay with talking about Jesus because Jesus is non-threatening to them for the most part. So, what I want us to talk about is this next question. Uh, And I'm going to say this out loud because I forgot to say it because there's some people that are watching at home that don't have this in front of them. And by some people, maybe one. Bless you. Jesus' last words of Matthew are to make disciples, baptizing, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Who's someone that you can invite to join you on your discipleship journey by reading through a part of the Bible together? What is holding you back from inviting someone to do this with you? All right, so I'll give you some time to discuss.
Okay, let's uh, come back together. I would uh, love to hear some thoughts from your discussion. Yeah, feel free to share. Well, okay, so make it up by sharing. Yeah, good. Val's like, whew, now I don't have to share. <laughs> what are some other things that you discussed? Yeah, I would love to hear some of them. Okay, good. Let's number let's go over the top ten. Okay, there's number one. What's what's number two? Kids? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Teresa's like, who's ah oh, that? <laughs> Yes. I was just thinking the fact that my family is a number of us that around that will get on a thread of some topic on texting, mm. inside texting. Mm -hmm. And a friend knew of somebody, so of course I'm known to that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's popular. But to me, that would be a good opportunity to discuss certainly names or to start a conversation. Yeah. Start a conversation with your family. Get your family to buy in to wherever they're at to say, hey, let's read this and then. Oh, sure. Yeah, right. Why have you abandoned us? What else? No, that's everyone else that has not said a thing. They're like, I, I, what Marcy said, that's my answer. I don't want to share anything with you right now. See, this is why we're going to have discussion leaders next year, so that, so that then they will prompt you to say things. They'll speak on your behalf. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, what did she say? Being too aggressive and actually doing the opposite of 
bringing them closer, you actually put, repulse them by, by your excitement and your aggression. Is that not what you said? <laughs> what I heard you say was, I don't want to be repulsive by my love for Jesus. Don't worry about it, (laughs) says the guy who talks about Jesus on the radio for a living. (laughs) 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 What do you think about Jesus? Oh, sure. Like a primer or primer, depending on where you live. Like a primer question, to prime the pump. (laughs) Sorry, I'm thinking about my lawn pump that I need to put in. Yeah. Yeah, we all spend a lot of time at work, and so how could you do something at work uh, it gets complicated, but how could you do that? Um, yeah, I was talking to the fire chief, uh, Brainerd fire chief, um, on Sunday, Tim Holmes, as many of you know, and the, some firefighters want to start a Bible study. And he's like, we might need to have you on call. I'm like, yeah, cool, great. Love to help. So the question that, that I have is, it's kind of a twofold question or two-sided question, or two different ways of saying the same question. What would move you further in this process? What could I do that would help reduce the barrier that you have to this process of inviting people into discipleship? Or, to say it differently, in the words of Adam Grant, what would change your mind about making this a priority in your life? <laughs> Live in Niswa? That's the answer? Oh, the people. The... Okay, got it. Yeah. So if the people lived in Niswa, there are people that live in Niswa, so that... Are you making disciples before they make a commitment? Um, That's a great question. There is no concept in the New Testament of conversion without discipleship. Like, that doesn't happen. And it's interesting because somebody sent me a TikTok. Um, I don't have TikTok, but you can watch it without having... TikTok, um, and it was a conversation, I don't know when it happened, and it was J.I. Packer and R.C. Sproles, some people that I think have made some impact on evangelicalism, uh, and they were talking about this exact concept of you know, how we have 
fallen into this conversion mentality without discipleship. And in essence, that's Bonhoeffer's whole book, The Cost of Discipleship, is cheap grace versus costly grace. And, and so this, isn't, this is about inviting people to walk with Jesus. That's what this is about. Because that's what Jesus did. He said, follow me. Join me on this journey, follow me. He does not one time ask the disciples, if you fall out of your boat, do you know where you're going to go? He doesn't say, pray this prayer and then follow me. He says, a disciple is a person who follows and walks in the way of Jesus. Period. He starts the Sermon on the Mount by talking about this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He concludes this part of Matthew's gospel by saying, a disciple of Jesus is a person who makes more disciples. Invites people into discipleship. Because the next question that I have uh, for discussion, which we're not going to get to, is when we start to emphasize conversion mentality, we don't make disciples. We make converts. Jesus doesn't say, go forth and make a bunch of converts. And so, we're not trying to get people to say a prayer and accept Jesus as their Savior. Which, you're like, I, can I quote you on that? Yeah, sure. That is not what this thing called following Jesus is about. You're like, yeah, but what a... We have to disconnect our culturally bound, culturally infected brains and understand that discipleship is what this is about. And we have been led to believe that it's about conversion, and it's not. Uh, you cannot be a disciple and not have the Holy Spirit, correct? Yeah. No, because conversion is a point in time. When we talk about conversion, we talk about I walked the aisle, I prayed the prayer, I'm going to heaven, period. End of discussion. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people do. No. What I'm saying is, let's stop talking about conversion. Let's talk about discipleship. Because to be a disciple is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if I'm a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ, what I did at one point in my life is so superseded by everything else I've done in my life to be more like Christ. Does that make sense? Is that... Because that's not how we function. For throughout, the, 100%, we have become so enamored with 
how many people prayed a prayer, and that's literally all the church care, can care about. I'm not saying Timberwood because we don't count those things. That we miss out on the truth and the reality that to pray a prayer and to not live as a disciple has no meaning. Jesus has no concept of that. You know, when the, when the, he says to the disciples, follow me, and they say, yes, Lord, I will follow you, and then don't ever move, they haven't actually followed Jesus. So what about Judas? Yeah, that is the great question. That is the great question. What, how, how do we walk with Jesus for X number of days, years, whatever, and not experience this moment and this reality of what we call formation? It baff, it's baffling. And so, again, as we talk about this, asking people to pray a prayer is terrifying and a piece of cake. <laughs> because if I ask you to pray a prayer and you say no, I move on. If I ask you to join me on a journey and you say yes, now I'm stuck with you. <laughs> was that one of them? Was that number 10? <laughs> I don't want to be stuck with this person for their journey. <laughs> yes. Yes, can it be less formal? And yes, it, it can be. Um, which I love that. I love that model. <laughs> Yes, I'm trying to make it as simple as possible and to say, hey, friend, you want to do this thing with me? I'm going to try it out this summer, and we'll meet every other week. And between those meetings, let's read this section, and we'll talk about it. doesn't have to be formal. doesn't have to have questions. You don't have to ask ChatGPT to come up with questions for you, which it will. It's fascinating. But simple is totally fine. Mike, did you have a question? Yeah, so I think about it this way. And I don't know if any of you have ever ridden the tram at Jackson Hole, but 
when you ride the tram, which takes you from the base of the mountain all the way to the very top, top to the top of what they call Rendezvous Mountain, as you approach the top of the mountain, so you step on the tram, like you have to decide to get on the tram. And as you step on the tram, you're like, woohoo, this is fun, yee, as you're actually crammed in there with 100 other people. And as you approach the top, the person gets on the announcer, the announcer gets on, the tram goes dead silent, and they have this whole spiel about where ski patrol is located, Papa Gondola, top of this, top of this, top of this. How about the, that the tram goes back down the mountain every 15 minutes, so if you don't want to ride down, you can, or if you don't want to ski down, you can get a ride back down on the tram. And then they say, and if you're going to go into the back country of Jackson Hole, you need to have a partner and a plan. And if you don't know, don't go. And everyone says that part together. And you can think about it. It's like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Until you find yourself in the wilderness, head down in a tree well, and if someone isn't with you, you're dead. Because you can't get out of that tree well. And a friend, actually Tim Holmes, sent me this video of this guy who had chosen to go into the wilderness by themselves, falls into a tree well. A guy is skiing down with a partner and sees a snowboard and stops and goes back and rescues this guy who was about to die. We, when we say yes to Jesus Christ, we walk into the wilderness. And we should have a partner and a plan. And so part of discipleship is saying, hey, I'm on this journey. Would you come with me? One way we can do it is, hey, you need to go do this thing. Another way is to say, I'm on this journey, it's super exciting, would you join me? And that's a very different invitation. One is to tell somebody what they need to do. Another is to invite them into your journey. And yeah, part of it becomes scary because it's like, oh no. <laughs> what if they find out? What if they find out I don't actually know that much about the Bible? How refreshing is that? When you think somebody is this, you know, epitome of faith, and then you realize that actually they don't wake up every morning at 5.30 and read their Bibles like they, you think they do because they're a human being and they don't like to get up at 5.30. And you're like, okay, yes, you and I are so similar. Or stay up later or whatever it is. So you all have decided to join me on this journey of this year, and I so appreciate it. Because I love hearing from you. I love wrestling with things from you. I love your comments and your questions and your, well, yeah, but, you know, when Phil's like, excuse me, <laughs> Eric, what are you talking about? I so appreciate that. Because I'm just a guy trying to figure out what this thing is like following Jesus. 
and we do it together, and you guys help me figure this thing out together. And on small group on Sunday night, someone was like, ironically, they're not here. <laughs> How do we get more people our age to come to Wednesday night? <laughs> and they owned it. They owned it. It starts by saying, hey, I'm doing this thing. Would you come with me? Would you join me? And then you're like, oh, shoot, that means, like, I have to come. <laughs> what if it's Wednesday night and I don't really feel like going? And my friend's like, hey, see ya Wednesday night. You're like, ugh, ew. Yeah, right, that's it. You know, when, when you commit to doing this thing called following Jesus Christ and, and being challenged by his word and, and his commands, it's like, oh, man. Sometimes it's easier to do it by yourself because then you don't have to worry about somebody saying, uh, excuse me. And all of this comes back to what Jesus says in his very final words in this gospel. Because yes, I hear all of, all of the fears and all of the, the challenges that stand in front of us and I honestly want us to ask if this changed, it would be easier for me to engage with this thing that you're talking about called discipleship. I would love to know what that is for you. First, you have to admit it to yourself. That's the first part. And what does Jesus say? And I will be with you to the end of the age. And so again, this gospel that starts with God choosing to be with us. He sends his disciples out and he says, I'm not sending you out alone. I'm sending you out and I will be with you. And so yeah, it's scary and challenging and all these things. And yet if we want to be disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, we need to take his word seriously. And so, hopefully, we can spend the next three months exploring what that looks like for each of us. And if you don't want to read through Matthew, because frankly you're sick of it, choose Mark. It's about half as long. <laughs> but I would really encourage you to choose a gospel because it is about Jesus. Again, thank you for being here. Yes. Excuse me? Who killed Jesus? I thought you answered that last week. <laughs> I think that is one of the most profound questions that exists in the world. What makes a great question? One that's easy to answer? Absolutely not. One that makes me have about 27 more questions? Yes. And so, you know, unfortunately, throughout history, the Jews get blamed for killing Jesus, and then we attack the Jews. And so... Again, when we ask the question, 
so much of it reveals how we understand our own theology. Because when I say I killed Jesus, I take so much agency (laughs) when Jesus is actually killed by no one. What does he say? No one takes my life, I offer it up. I offer it up. And so that is part of how we understand this question of no one is taking Jesus' life from him, he is offering it, which makes it even more important and even more impactful. Because if they would have taken him by force and killed him by him fighting and kicking and screaming and trying to not die, it would have changed the narrative completely. He says, I lay down my life for my sheep. So, again, thank you so much for being here and being a part of this. Um, the s- next week, there is a lament service on the 17th, next uh, Wednesday. And then on the 31st, there's a brief little three-week class on death and dying um, for our summer elective. It's the 31st, 7th, and 14th of June. So, you know, another interesting thing that you could invite somebody to do is to spend some time on the prayer path. Hey, I'm going to go for a walk in the woods at my church. You want to join me? Um, Pretty simple, pretty easy, and also terrifying all at the same time. So, uh, let's pray, and then we will... And you all got that, right? Like, we are... The answer was yes. 26, 26 to... 16, I think, was the vote. I did actually count them. Three people put in blank slips, so good on you. (laughs) I did look on both sides. (laughs) And I turned them around. And I got out the, you know, the revealing ink thing, and I put on my special glasses. Nothing there. Oh, Father, we just, again, I just thank you so much for this group of people and how they love you and want to serve you and know you and be obedient to you and to grow in you. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would bless the days and weeks ahead of them as they wrestle with this command of Jesus to go and to make more disciples and the challenges that exist around that. And as Paul says, how our flesh is so often in the way. And so we just pray, Spirit, that you would empower us to move beyond our excuses and and step into the scary wilderness of this thing called discipleship with other people. And so we just pray that you would go with us, go before us, and, and, and walk alongside us through this process. In Jesus' name, amen.